The Old Testament reading, this, the tenth Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 55th chapter. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This is the word of the Lord. O oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the ninth chapter. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Now, when Jesus heard about the death of John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. 
Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus hears the bad news. John the Baptist has been killed by King Herod. And so, he leaves behind his teaching, his public ministry for a while, and goes off to a desolate place, a place to be alone with the disciples. But the crowds find out about it. They see him get into the boat, they figure out where exactly he's headed, and the crowds get there before him. And Jesus, being merciful, he teaches them. He comes to them. He doesn't say, look guys, I just need some time on my own here. Can you just leave me alone for one day? He comes and he heals the sick. And the event goes on and on and on the entire day long. And now some biological truths are intruding upon them. They're hungry. Nobody figured that this was going to be an all-day event. Nobody figured this was going to be an event at all. Nobody brought to have a lunch. Nobody contacted Chick-fil-A to have them cater the event. And so the disciples decide it's time to call it. They go to Jesus and they say, send the people away. Disperse the crowds so that they can go out to the villages, they can go back to their homes, and they can get something to eat. But Jesus says, no, that's not necessary. You give them something to eat. Can you imagine the shock they must have felt? Thinking, maybe Jesus had told them beforehand that they were supposed to get food and they had totally forgotten about it. Imagine the embarrassment. Imagine just kind of the incredulity as they go, we don't have that kind of food. There's no way that we can do that. Because we have only five loaves here and two fish. How could that possibly feed a crowd of this size? Matthew records that it was 5,000 men besides women and children. And so figuring for families, bachelors, so forth, this was probably a crowd between 7,500 and 10,000 people. If I were to ask you to feed even our congregation today with five loaves of bread and two fish, what would your response be? Five loaves and two fish, that's really not even going to feed a particularly large family. And so the disciples are kind of at wit's end. What in the heck are we supposed to do with this little? But Jesus says, bring them here to me. 
He doesn't say go out and get more. He says bring what you have to me. He speaks his word of blessing and the crowd eats their fill. That small amount, that impossible amount that wouldn't go very far at all on its own by the blessing of Jesus Christ. Even after feeding the crowd, as the disciples gather up the leftovers, they have more than what they began with. That's the miracle of Jesus Christ. But of course, that's with Jesus standing right there. That's with our Lord physically present, touching the bread, speaking his words out loud, giving it out to the people as he intended. That was then. This is now. Things are different, right? We're not just trying to feed people who are gathered out in a desolate place. We're not just trying to give a nice bread and fish kind of snack. We are trying to tell people about Jesus Christ. We are trying to proclaim forgiveness and salvation. That's our mission as the church. That's what we here at Trinity Lutheran Church want to do. That's what all Christians all throughout the world want to do. But it seems impossible. Because we have only a minority of Christians in the world. According to a number of studies, Christians make up about one-third of the world's population. And that sounds pretty good at first, because that means there's about two billion Christians. But that also means that there are four billion who are not. And these surveys, they don't take into account doctrinal purity. Many who call themselves Christian don't actually hold to Christian doctrine don't actually believe in the Christian faith, don't actually live a life that is remotely Christian. They claim the Bible is not God's holy word. They deny that Jesus' death has redeemed anyone. They mix in other sorts of religion and works righteousness and all sorts of these man-made ideas to the point that for some so-called Christians, their very salvation is in question. And so, as Christians who believe the Bible, who seek to teach the true word of God, we are vastly outnumbered. Statistically, we are bound to fail because we just don't have the numbers to go out there and change the world. But what does Jesus say to us? Well, he says the same thing he said to the disciples. Bring them here to me. Once again, working with very little, working in the very impossible situation, Jesus Christ has spoken his word of blessing. Not upon bread and fish this time, but upon his people. Empowering us, making us something far more than we were to start with. Jesus Christ calls out to the entire world through us, and he calls out loudly. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, because here you have relief from all the sin and death and pain and suffering of this world. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. There is no price. This is a gift given to all. God's gracious word flows across this land, flows across this entire world calling all people to salvation, giving out his free gifts, 
proclaiming the grace of forgiveness. And where we thought it was impossible, where we thought, well, we've only got a handful of people, what could we possibly do? God changes lives. He changes families. He changes towns. He changes nations. He changes the world. The Holy Spirit comes in places we never thought possible and changes people, turning their hearts to Christian faith, giving to them not just hope, but the guarantee of eternal life in heaven when they had none before. And that's fantastic. That's something great. That is something worth celebrating. We know that God's word is working all throughout the world. We know that God's word is working out there somewhere. We know that somewhere people are being brought to faith. It's too bad we can't be part of that too, right? It's too bad that we can't see the power of God's word here. We can read about it. We can go to conventions about it. We can see it in newspapers. But here at Trinity... It's too bad that we have only a small congregation. I mean, how could this congregation possibly do anything of significance? We've got, what, maybe 300 people on the books? Probably more than half of those members are people that you never see on Sunday, people I wouldn't even be able to pick out of a crowd if I had to. And besides, everyone in our community, they've already got a church. Or they wouldn't be interested in hearing about Jesus. Or they wouldn't even consider stepping through the doors and coming to church here. We look at our numbers. We look at our town and our situation. And we say, we can't change anything. We can't do anything with what the little that we've been given. And once again, Jesus says, bring them to me. And once again, Jesus Christ himself speaks his word of blessing. The church doesn't grow because of how eloquent or convincing you are. The church doesn't grow because of how popular you are. The church doesn't grow because you are such a great salesman at pushing Trinity and telling people how awesome it is here. The church grows because of the word of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit works faith when and where he will. He himself gives us his word to speak as we meet with people on a day-to-day basis. Not just in a concerted evangelism effort where we gather together at the church at 8 o'clock on a Saturday and say, let's go wake people up and ask them if they know about Jesus. He has given us his pure word and doctrine. He has given us the words of forgiveness and eternal life that have changed us. And so our lives become lives of evangelism. Our lives become something that we can take out into the world, and even without trying, we touch the lives of others. Jesus gives us something that no store or doctor or psychiatrist can possibly offer. Jesus gives us something that was won for us at the price of his very life. He gives us something that we have been given, the privilege of sharing with everyone else in our lives. God uses us wherever we might be. You might look at your life and say, I'm just a farmer, just a clerk, just a whatever it might be. 
I can't be out there changing people's lives. I'm not a pastor. Pastors aren't good at it either. The Word of God is. Whether you're a pastor, a farmer, a businessman, a retired worker, or a hobo, God uses us to spread his gospel of forgiveness. He speaks through us. And where we thought there was nothing, where we thought, you know, we have only this many people, God, again, does miracles. And as we spread his word, our own faith grows. Just as the disciples gathered up more leftovers than they originally started with, God's word grows and it spreads and it deepens in our own lives. As we tell others about the faith, we increase in our faith. As we tell others what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he suffered and died on the cross, that he took away all of our guilt, we too take that word even more to heart. But how can this be, you might ask? How can we speak the very word of God? I mean, we know ourselves. We know the temptations that we give into over and over and over. We know that we are sinners. How can we proclaim the truth of God's word when we have only a life of sin within ourselves? I mean, let's face it. Do we have any right to tell others to amend their ways when our lives are so full of sin ourselves? What right do we have to tell an unwed mother she's committing adultery when we ourselves are filled with adulterous thoughts? What right do we have to tell others they need to hear the word of God when we ourselves so often only do so begrudgingly? What right do we have to speak the holy word of God when we ourselves are filled with so much sin? But once again, Jesus says, bring them here to me. When we come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, we are changed. Our sin has been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. As he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, it was our sin that he faced. As he allowed himself to be betrayed, denied, and mocked, it was because he was carrying away our sin. As he was nailed to that cross, it was our sin that kept him there. Our sin that weighed upon his tortured body. Our sin that killed Jesus. Jesus Christ, God himself, gave up his very life to take away your sin. Bring them here to me, Jesus says. The sin that fills your life. The sin that you wrestle with and struggle with constantly. The sin that you think you could never possibly overcome. And Jesus says, bring them to me because I have paid them in full. And because he's done so. Because he suffered and died in your place. Because he rose again from the grave to break sin's hold on you. We can live lives of peace and joy and proclamation. Even though we are still sinners, we are forgiven. We have been given God's word to share and to proclaim with others, even when we think it won't do any good whatsoever, even when we think we couldn't possibly change anything. And we have been given the blessing of Jesus himself, so that with even just a little, we can share and share and share and still have more than what we began with. 
A sinful life declared holy and used to share God's word? A tiny congregation making a difference in a community? A minority of people changing the world? Impossible, says the world and our own sinful flesh. But Jesus Christ says in every one of those situations, bring them here to me. And through his blood, through his death and resurrection, the world is changed. Anytime we sinners face a challenge, we are tempted to back down. We are tempted to doubt. We are tempted to say, oh, but we have only. But whatever our only might be, that's not all that we have. We have God himself with us. We have his holy word. We have his forgiveness, his salvation, and his promise that eternal life in heaven has been given to us by him. And with that, we can do anything. Because by the cross of Jesus Christ, by his empty tomb, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.